Good morning. He is risen. Welcome to Easter 2016. Easter 2016 has come to us. It is a tradition, it is culture, it is a celebration, it is set to happen every spring and it comes to us. So Easter came to us, the celebration of Easter. That's why we celebrate Easter here. We could do it other weeks, I suppose. But you came to Easter here. Now, as a teacher, we are supposed to know our content, and we're supposed to know our audience. So uh, the, the, the content we can work on, and I've been working on content, it's my desire that it be biblical. The audience is a little more difficult for me because I do not know you people. I, I know a handful of you. And so I'm going to overgeneralize with apologies and say perhaps there are four categories in which you fit in one of those on this Easter morning where you are here and sitting. These four categories have to do with reluctance, resistance, routine, and rejoicing. First of all, let's look at reluctance. Some of you may be here in reluctance. I know where I come from in California that, that Easter is a time that like dads and other people who don't go to church are supposed to go. And they go with reluctance. It's just part of the deal, part of the contract. It keeps them out of church until Christmas. Perhaps you're here in reluctance. Maybe it's an attitude reluctance. You, you just don't really have time for God, you prefer not to go to these kind of church places, maybe it's just a situational reluctance today. You, you woke up and you have a bad headache. You, you have a huge party this afternoon, you're not ready for it. Uh, that, that happens as well. And if you're here in reluctance, welcome. Some of you may be here in resistance. This just isn't reluctance. You, you are tired of the whole church thing, the whole religious thing, perhaps the whole Christianity thing. You, you are tired of these celebrations of baby Jesuses and dying Jesuses and risen Jesuses. And they are stories and myths for which you do not have time. But yet, you're here for whatever the reasons you ended up coming. But you are resisting already the talk you're going to hear because you know it has stuff to do about Jesus and dying in you and stuff like that. And if you're here in active resistance, uh, I, I welcome you here. If we were smaller, I would even welcome dialogue and disagreement. It would be marvelous. Um, for those of you who would like that, we could schedule a time. It, uh, it would be wonderful. Those of you here in resistance to God, active, welcome. Many of us are here out of routine. Uh, that's not me today. Uh, last week it maybe was, because I didn't speak last week. So I could just wake up and it's Sunday, I go to church and come and sit. Okay. Perhaps some of you are here out of routine because you come every Sunday. It's really no question, you just come. Whether you want to or not, you come. 
That, that's not a bad routine, mind you. Routines can be very helpful. Routines can also be very limiting, because when we do routines, we don't engage in thinking. We, we just go through it mindlessly. Some of you are in the routine of going to church, and the danger for you is because routines can be somewhat mindless, is you really are checking your clock, you really are thinking about the party you're going to or what's going to happen tomorrow, and you aren't planning on fully engaging. And for those of you who are here by routine, welcome. Some of you may be here distinctly rejoicing. And maybe that frequently is the way you are on a Sunday. You get to come together with other believers in community. You get to celebrate. You get to mourn. You get to rejoice. You get to hear God's word. You get to sing God's word. And that's a weekly occurrence or a common occurrence. And others of you may be already today because of your heart's preparation in the week. You woke up this morning. You saw the sunrise and the blue skies. And you said... He is, risen. he is risen. He is risen indeed. And you're welcome here also. So here we are, this crazy bunch of people. And here we are in Easter 2016. So, this whole Easter business, we have to ask ourselves a question, a common question. In fact, I want to use three of them as introductions here. And the first is, what on earth is going on? We're going to ask that question. What on earth is going on? Now, we're, we're going to talk about Easter 1. That's as opposed to Easter 2016. And... Um, for those of you math and science and logic people, I know technically they didn't even know the word Easter and they didn't even have bunnies probably and Easter eggs back in the first year. So I'm, I'm just saying we're going back to when the events that we celebrated Easter really happened. That's what I mean by Easter number one. What was going on at Easter number one? But there's a deeper question than that. And especially for perhaps those of you who are reluctant or resistant, those of you who are skeptic. It's not just what was going on, but can we really know what happened 2,000 years ago? Can we know what happened 2,000 years ago with any degree of certainty? I think some of you, that's probably a very valid question. And you're saying, well, certainly the Easter story is nice. It, it's nice, like a lot of nice stories. It's a nice, pleasant story. It's a pleasant myth. And you know what? I don't know if we can even really know what happened 2,000 years ago. I think that is a valid question. I will not answer it. Let me address it for just a minute. First of all, Christianity is a historical faith. Christianity is rooted in history, real events that happened. There was a real Adam and a real Eve. There was a real Abraham. There was a real Moses. There was a real guy named Jesus. And he lived about 2,000 years ago. And he lived in first century Palestine. He hung out in Jerusalem a lot. And this real guy was crucified. And he died. And it looked like he rose again. Christianity is a historical faith. 
So it is a valid question. Well, how can we know that? In this huge area of how do we know anything, let me just make this one statement. When it comes to the area of history, historical events, we can apply the logical rules of evidence for historical events that you would apply to anything. The signing of the Constitution, whether a guy named Caesar lived, whether there were even pharaohs that lived, any of those questions. There are logical rules of evidence that can support a logical conclusion that this event certainly looks like it happened. And for those of you who truly struggle with this and want to know, you can go there and examine this. And myself and a number of other people, if you would like, would love to join you on that journey. It can be done. So, with a degree of certainty, more than we can have in any other historical events, I would say, we, we say yeah, there was this guy named Jesus who lived about 2,000 years ago, and here's some events that certainly look like they happened. So, what did happen anyway? What is on earth is going on? There are so many events that went on. And most of you are familiar, all of the stories that, that surrounding what we call Easter here. So what was happening on the cross and at the tomb of the Easter story? This is, would be the content of an Easter talk, should cover that. What I'd like to do is not take the time to go over all of the story elements. Most of you probably know them. All of you could do with a refresher, or if you're brand new to this, look at the Gospels, look at the accounts towards the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and refresh yourself to all that happened. We're just going to touch on a few things. But I would like to do this. So what happened that, that Easter week? And rather than me summarizing it, I just want to quote from a few of the early followers of Jesus who gave a brief summary in the first 20 to 30 years after these events happened, after Jesus died. You would call them sermons that were given. And I'm just going to refer to a couple of them. I gave the general references on, uh, that you see. If you would like to look at them more, I just want to read a couple of them. This question of, okay, so in 100 words or less, tell me about Easter. Well, we could look in Luke 24. And this is two men walking Sunday after Jesus had died, before they saw him, followers of Jesus, and they said, Jesus was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. And we've heard rumors that he's alive. That was the message, the, what we would say the Sunday evening after Jesus rose again. A number of weeks later, Peter 
is teaching a message. He's preaching. Acts chapter 2, what we call the day of Pentecost. This is what Peter's saying. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him as you know this. Peter was talking to people who knew this man Jesus had done miracles. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him up from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. And if you would look at the other accounts, you see what they're going to say is, there was a man named Jesus who lived, and he did miraculous things, which everybody had heard the stories of and knew he did. That meant he was somebody special. He said he was the Messiah, but at the very least, someone who does miracles is someone special. He then was taken, and he was crucified. He was put to death by the Jews, one of them says. By the Romans, the another account says. By God, Peter says. God turned him over to have him put to death. And yet, he did not stay dead. He rose again. And the other passages that I give you are similar accounts. Jesus Christ, a man who lived, a man who lived and showed miracles that he was sent from God as the Messiah, was killed under God's oversight with God's planning by wicked men, and he rose again, and he lives, and he is now Messiah, and he is now king of all. That is the summary message and impact of Easter for which we celebrate. I do want to take a little time right now, though, and look at a few of the events. And so let me just toss out some general terms to uh, some seed thoughts. Maybe one of them will catch and you'll spend a little extra time thinking about that. What on earth was going on? Well, there was a God the Father and a Jesus Christ. There were Jewish religious leaders. There were Romans involved. There were Jesus followers and Satan and angels. There was a crucifixion which consisted of whippings and mockings and pain and humiliation and pain and shame and death. Beyond that, there was a burial, a body wrapped in a linen cloth, a tomb, a large stone, soldiers guarding, a tomb that became empty because there was a resurrection which was life. And so therein is an all too brief summary. And by the way, next week, for those of you who come, is when this church will celebrate communion. Easter is an invitation to come to the cross and the tomb once a year. That's good. Communion is the invitation by God, by you to come regularly, and at this church this means monthly, to come to the cross and come to the empty tomb. So as preparation for that during this week, perhaps you could spend time on these details in reading and thinking on them to get your heart ready to come next week to celebrate communion with all of us. So we're back. What on earth was going on? A whole lot of events were going on. 
But lest, lest we end up with rather white, sterile thinkings of a Jesus who was crucified in a child-friendly kind of way, and uh, soldiers who did things to him in a child-friendly way, and he bled and hung on the cross, which probably does not capture our emotions much because we've heard it so much, and, and further even compounded in our culture where Easter becomes a spring vacation, a spring happy time, nothing wrong with those things. It becomes a party time and Easter eggs and bunnies and candy. Now, nothing wrong with any of those individually, but... Sometimes we forget that there are other questions. And I'm referencing three questions, which in American culture are questions which are used most of the time. They're used, I believe, improperly. And uh, you probably wouldn't let your kids say it, perhaps. But this is the case where I think they are properly. It's not just what on earth was going on. The next question is, what in hell was going on at this time? You see, Easter was not just an earth event among people. There were things happening, things being shaken. And the other question in, in this common phrase, and what in heaven's name is going on? And, and those terms are, bound, are, are founded in truth, and perhaps we should use those more appropriately rather than casual dismissive things. But this is what Easter is. There was something happening that, that happened on earth, but it was regarding the very pit of hell. It was regarding the very height of heaven. And, and we would be foolish if we would miss out on that. First of all, let's look at what is this heaven issue? We said God the Father was involved. God the Father gave his son to die. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Now, this would take, you need to read this verse about every 10 or 15 verses when you read the crucifixion. Come back to this one. This is, this is the heaven business. This is what was going on. God made Jesus sin. He did not make Jesus a substitute for you. You should have died, and Jesus stood in and nobly said, I'll die. Now, he was a substitute for you. But, but that's a noble, clean gesture, one to be admired. What Jesus did was shameful, humiliating, degrading, embarrassing. Jesus did not just pay the price of sin. Jesus became sin. He became sin. Do you know your emotional response to, to horrendous sins, to abuses and perversions? Do you know your response to that, the disgustingness of what people do and the shamefulness of people who torture and people who wantonly kill and, and people who abuse children and, and all of that that you think, the shame and the ugliness and the embarrassment of it, that's what Jesus became in God's eyes. This was not just a noble man dying for someone else because there have been many noble men and women who've just died for other people. This is what Jesus did for you. 
And the physical abuse he suffered is to catch our attention so perhaps we'll think long enough to understand that when we see the bigger picture here, Jesus died for not just my guilt, but for my shame. The horrifying weight of separation with God was on his shoulders. Look at the last three things Jesus said. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What did he mean? He meant his Father and the mystery of the Trinity, his Father with which he had enjoyed from eternity past perfect union, fellowship, no problems ever between them. For the first time ever, turned his back on him. He had no fellowship with his Father. His Father turned away in holiness because his Son was shameful. His Father did forsake him. But there was a purpose for what he did. And there came time when Jesus said, it is finished. My sacrifice, my bearing is finished. And the conclusion came in his celebration statement when he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And the Father turned back toward the Son and in forgiveness. The transaction was complete for which we are invited to participate in. We talked about what on earth was going on. We talked about what in heaven on hell was going on. What was going on in the hearts of the people involved? And, and this is for your question too. When you look at what was going on in their hearts, the question is, and what is going on in your heart as well? Let's look at some of these. Let's look at the Jewish leaders. When it comes to what was going on around the cross situation. Well, the Jewish leaders were leaders. They had position of respect. They had power and authority under the Romans, but power and authority over people. Some of them sincerely were trying to protect the name of God. But they all wanted to protect something. And this Jesus guy comes and he is tending to turn everything over that they believe in because they had constructed many things that God had not given them. And they were trying to defend structures and traditions that God did not give. And they held that against Jesus and Jesus broke those and they did not like him. He was an irritant. He was a problem. He was incompatible with their lifestyle. And they said, he's got to go. And, and by the way, there are some of you here perhaps... And the bottom line is, you know this Jesus guy is incompatible with your lifestyle. You know that. You know either you have to change something or he's got to go. And you, in your own way, kill Jesus off. You, in your own way, try to keep him buried. Besides the Jewish leaders, we also had Pilate. What was Pilate involved in? Well, Pilate was a politician, and Pilate's job was to keep his job and his head. And his job was no rebellions, only peace in Jerusalem. That was his assignment. So when this guy Jesus came, Pilate saw through it what was really happening. He knew the Jewish leaders turned him over because they were jealous and envious of him. He saw that. He saw that Jesus had done nothing wrong. He saw that. He knew the truth. And yet, when it came time to stand against the Jewish leaders, 
and risked them having a rebellion and him losing his job, if not his head, he bailed out of this whole business of truth by saying, well, what is truth anyway? Today, the pilot defense we would probably call postmodernism. If you can't fight the truth, then why don't you just undermine it and say, oh, well, can any of us know anything? It's kind of what Pilate was doing. Well, who knows what truth is, and if anybody can find it, you have it, I have it, who knows? Why don't you just use yours? I'll use mine. It, it worked for him in the sense he got rid of Jesus, and Jesus died. What about the soldiers, their involvement? The Roman soldiers at the cross... We talked about some of you may be coming in routine. You got that, you know, routine. It's Sunday morning, you get up without thinking, you come and do this, you go home, and maybe you never thought. Do you know the Roman soldiers did crucifixions as routines? This was another routine for them. Routine efficiency. You get the man, you nail him, you put the cross off. They are nameless faceless people, all protesting innocence and screaming in pain, and you sit there and while away the time until they're done and you get to leave and go home. Talk about routine non-expectations. But something happened at this one. Something. It started when this man said, they heard him say, Father, forgive them. Forgive them. Them. That's me. If I'm the Roman soldier, this guy says, Father, forgive me. I don't know what I'm doing. And as the next number of hours unfolded, and, and there was darkness, and there was earthquakes, and he heard what this man said, at the conclusion of his experience, this Roman leader said, this man has to be somebody, a son of God. We didn't have Judas. Yeah, the disciple. The one who had lived with Jesus for three years, that one. The one who had suffered with Jesus, who had slept outside in uncomfortable areas, who, who had done all of these things walking with Jesus, that Judas. We, we know that he was the treasurer, and we know that he was skimming off some of the money. But he is the one who, for the sake of money, sold Jesus. Betrayed Jesus. We read about this in Matthew 27. Judas was stricken in remorse. I did a bad thing, I feel bad. He went to the chief priests and the elders that had given them money, and he said, I have sinned, for I have betrayed innocent blood. That would be confession. I have sinned. I am wrong, I am bad, I am sorry, I admit it, he was innocent, I betrayed him. The response of the religious leaders who represent God, at least they were consistent because they said to him, what is that to us? That's your responsibility. Which by the way, was their understanding of the Jewish faith and religion your sins and your problems, it's your responsibility. You better do things and behave better and get better and take care of that. 
And so Judas was left with, what, what do I do? It's my responsibility I send. I can't stop this. I can't go back. I, I, even if they don't kill him, I did it. I can't go back. There's nothing I can do. And in his despair, he killed himself. He committed suicide. What else is a person supposed to do but somehow try to pay for their own sin? How tragic. How tragic. If he could only have held on longer, if he only could understand that this same Jesus he betrayed was dying for people like him, for people who had done things so horrendous that there was no way they could ever make it right. That's why Jesus was dying. But Judas, to the end, said, I need to do this my way. And I don't know if there's some of you who have a history, and maybe it's a past history that is long covered up, you think and you hope, but it's still there and it pops out every so often. Or maybe you have a more current history and you say, this is what I've done. People don't know this. I'm a thief. I do this. If people, they would never think I would do it. I do this. And you've been trying to make up for it. You've been trying to cover up for it. You've been trying to change, and you just can't. And then you realize there's so much history going on. Even if I never do this again, I still have this history. What can I do? And I'd like to offer you the offer of Jesus Christ. He did something for you. In fact, the other two characters are the two criminals that were crucified with Jesus. In the beginning, they both made fun and mocked Jesus. Scripture says. Later on, one of them said, Hey, Jesus, if you really are who you say you are, then save yourself and us. And the other thief said, This man, he said, Do you not fear God since you are under the same sentence and condemnation? You're dying right now. You're dying. Don't you fear God? We are dying justly. We are receiving the due reward of our deed. But this man has done nothing wrong. This man confessed his sin. We have done wrong. We deserve to die for it. He turned to Jesus and he said, This man has done nothing wrong. This man is not like us. He didn't know much about this man, but he knew that much. And then he turned to Jesus and he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said, today you will be with me in my kingdom. This thief was perhaps the first person who got it. God's kingdom, Jesus did not come to establish a kingdom on earth. Jesus did not come to establish a kingdom that could compete and destroy the Romans and the corrupt leaders and that would destroy disease and poverty and economic injustice. Jesus did not come that. He had a kingdom that existed after death where he was going and this thief understood that. It's more than just this life. And the entrance fee to the kingdom was not in performance and rehabilitation. It's not an effort. It's not in getting better. It's not in waiting till something else happens. The entrance to the kingdom comes with confession to Jesus, who the sinless one who had died for you, 
who was a king who was dying and going to continue to set up his kingdom where he was going to live and rule. And, and this criminal just said, I, I have nothing left. I have no hope. I'm in. Count me in, Jesus. Count me in with whatever you're doing. Well, we can talk about a lot of other responses. We know Jesus' followers uh, denied him, fled from him. Some followed him to the cross. They were hiding in their homes afterwards, not too exemplary. Next week, after we celebrate communion, we're going we're gonna to come back and we're going to look at how the Christians were living after they knew Jesus was resurrected. But for today, however and whatever reason you came, you have had presented to you the claims of Jesus Christ. He has come to suffer and to die for your sins. God accepted his sacrifice. And whatever guilt you have accumulated... Whatever shame you have accumulated that, that keeps you hidden and keeps your story hidden and let, doesn't let anybody know you, Jesus took that. It's in the open. It's there. And coming to Jesus is an entrance into the Father welcoming you, your shame gone, your guilt gone into his family. May you not try like Judas to try to deal with your own shame and your own guilt in your own way. May you not try like Pilate and the Jewish leaders to so try to keep control of your life that you will do what you can to kill and bury and tomb Jesus in myths or any other way that you might do that. And may you desire to just open your eyes where you're at and say, you know what, I'm a sinner without hope. And Jesus... I hear you have a kingdom. Is there any chance I can enter? And he will say, enter my kingdom. And if you have not entered this kingdom of Jesus, what a marvelous day today to do that. Afterwards, we would love to come up and many of us to talk with you. Pursue the truth. In preparation for next week, for those of us who are believers, we're, we're going to come back to the cross next week. Prepare for that. Reread what happens on the cross. Reread what happened at the resurrection. Reread the response of the followers of Jesus. Perhaps you can see yourself there. And then we will go on together in his name. Let us pray. Well, Father, you sent your son. Purposely, you sent him. You sent him in love. You sent him knowing what would happen. You sent him to die. You knew that in his death and becoming sin, you as father would pay the price of having to turn your back on this son who had become sin and shame. And yet you did it out of love for us. 
And we also thank you. You are not just a loving God, but you are a God of justice. And this work having been done, that you offer to us an opportunity to live in the freedom shamelessly before you. May we take you up on that offer for a first time today or being reminded of that every day in our life. All for your namesake. Amen.